What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with Nicola Julia, the co-founder and CEO of SoRare. Nicola's team is building an NFT fantasy platform, and they're scaling at an incredible rate. They were founded in 2018, have raised over $700 million in venture capital financing, and are currently valued at more than $4.3 billion. Not to mention, their cap table includes some of the world's best investors, like SoftBank, Benchmark, Excel, and others. So Nicola and I sat down for an hour and discussed everything, how he got into NFTs, the future of blockchain gaming, how he has changed as a leader, the tricks to keep churn low, potential geographic expansion, and so much more. I really enjoyed this conversation with Nicola, and I think you guys will too. But before we get into it, let's quickly run through our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is a 24-7 personalized fitness wearable that's here to help you improve your recovery, sleep, fitness, and health. It's the one tech product that I wear 24-7. Here's how it works. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, respiratory rate, and heart rate variability. Your score lets you know how to approach your day, whether you should push yourself during your workout or activity, or if you should skip the gym and take a rest day. You wear your Whoop on your wrist, bicep, or now within one of their new smart clothing garments called Whoop Body. The band connects with an app on your phone, and it automatically measures your heart rate, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. The band also automatically detects and classifies your workouts, so there's never an issue in forgetting to press go on a run anymore. You can then analyze your activity levels in the app. There's also a ton of coaching features within it like Strain Coach, which gives you target workout exertion goals tailored to your body's recovery level for that day. Those goals change over the course of the day, depending on how active you've been. That coaching is where Root really shines. Whether you're interested in how CBD or alcohol impacts your sleep and recovery, or you're just wondering how long of a run you should go on, Whoop is there to provide you with personalized data to make sure you're aware of the impact these decisions have on your body. And Whoop is now offering 15% off their new Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P dot com and enter Joe, J-O-E, at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Next up is Athletic Brewing. When it comes to non-alcoholic beers, Athletic Brewing changed the game. Their beer tastes amazing, and since each can is only 25 calories, 5 carbs, and made with organic grains, I can now enjoy the taste of a great beer without compromising my sleep or performance. But here's the best part. Athletic Brewing is now offering my listeners 20% off their first order with code JOE20. That's J-O-E-2-0. So as you prepare to stock the fridge for March Madness, Now's the perfect time to buy a refreshing, great-tasting beer without the consequences. Next up is FTX. I'm sure you've heard of them by now, whether it's because of their partnerships with the Miami Heat, Golden State Warriors, the MLB, or Formula One. Whatever it may be, it's obvious that FTX is dominating the crypto conversation in sports. FTX US is a safe, regulated way to buy Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Plus, you can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than any other exchange on the market. You can even buy NFTs on the FTX app from top ETH and Solana collections without getting hit with fees. Simply put, FTX gets it, and they want to make crypto exposure accessible, easy, and secure. Download the FTX app on your smartphone today and use code JOEPOMP, J-O-E-P-O-M-P, for a discount on trading fees and start building your portfolio in less than three minutes. It's literally that easy. All right, let's get into this episode. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. 
You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is episode number 38 of The Joe Pomp Show. I got a good one for you here today. I'm joined by Nicola Julia, who is the CEO and co-founder of So Rare. Nicola, how are you? I'm excellent. Thank you so much, Joe, for having me. Excited for the, this conversation. Of course. I'm, I'm pumped to, to be here with you also. And I just want to get this out of the way early on. It's 5.30 in the morning here when we're recording. So if I mess anything up, if I say anything stupid, if I make any mistakes, like I get a free pass today, okay? <laughs> Let's go. Okay. So I think most people in Europe know exactly who you guys are and what you do. You're a fast growing startup, one of the fastest in Europe's history, I yep. believe. You've reached 4.3, 4.4 billion dollar valuation earlier this year. You've raised over 700 million dollars to date. And maybe what we'll do is I'll just try to explain it in the simplest terms that I can to start as a novice and then you can walk me through what you think the nuance is. Is that okay? Yeah, that's perfect. Let's go. Okay. So I think of so rare as you're basically combining two different things, NFTs and fantasy gameplay. So fantasy, we think of it as fantasy football here. You guys think of it the same, but it's soccer, right? So fantasy football or soccer and NFTs. And the way it works is people join the platform, they collect NFTs, and these are trading cards. So instead of physical trading cards, they're digital trading cards, and you own them on the Ethereum blockchain. And then you're able to play a game. It has this play to earn mechanic where you're able to compete in fantasy competitions to earn either rewards via Ethereum or rewards as in additional cards. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, I know. That's totally a fair way to put it. And uh, I think that we we are at this intersection between NFT collectibles and fantasy gaming, as you said. And we we like to to describe this game as a player-owned fantasy game because for the first time, you truly own the players you are using. You you are free to to trade them, to reuse them across the seasons and so on. I think an interesting angle as well is the official license component. We work with the leagues and the clubs. So all these NFTs that you use in the fantasy game are officially license so we have the rights we partner with the top leagues in the world so we we have this ip and we have marketing support from them as well gotcha so let's start at the beginning real quick i don't want to spend too much time rewriting history here but ultimately you guys were very early to this nfts are you know they're everywhere in culture today they've blown up everyone knows OpenSea. everyone has seen the ungodly numbers that some of these items have been selling for you know yuga labs the company behind board api club just raised a bunch of money so this is full-on now a, a massive business but I think you guys started building this in 2018, yeah. which was two, three, almost four years now prior to everything blowing up. What was your idea behind this? How did you think of this? And, and why did you say, let's go for it now? Yeah. Uh, so I, I have been in the in the, in the the broader blockchain space for seven years now. And in 18, with my co-founder, Adrian, we saw these NFTs, this NFT standard popping up. And we were like, okay, this is going to change the way we own stuff online. Because now we can authenticate and secure something digital. So we were fascinated by this. I was convinced it's going to have an impact as big as mobile or the web. And one cool property I saw with these NFTs is the digital scarcity. Because you can authenticate and secure something digital, then you are able to collect something digital. And human beings have been collecting stuff in the physical world for centuries, right? So this is a behavior we have. 
our lives are becoming digital. So I was like, okay, this is going to be something. I'm a massive sports fan. So I was like, okay, let's bring all the top leagues in the world on top of these NFTs. So we have something that we relate to emotionally, right? And then I was like, okay, this is going to be massive, 10 times bigger than physical collectibles because it's easier to trade. You can move them, you can use them in games and so on. But I want something bigger. And for that, I want an experiential value. I want to go beyond trading and collecting this official license NFTs. And that's where the fantasy element comes into play for fans being able to use their NFTs every week and tomorrow every day in games and also in the physical world, like uh, having a way to unlock cool experiences because your own NFT is part of the broader vision. So why did you feel that using the actual IP of these teams was important? So just to level set, so everyone understands exactly what's happening. You guys have negotiated with, I believe it's over 200, maybe 250 clubs or leagues at this point where you have unique access to their IP in the digital world and you're able to use it through your gameplay. One person might say, hey, look, that's going to take a long, long, long period of time. It's going to be super difficult to go and negotiate with all these teams and these leagues on individual deals. Why don't we just use fake characters, right? Or, or whatever you need to create the gameplay. Why did you end up going with the unique IP that you have to go and license versus just making something up? Yeah. So yeah, we are partnering with 230 clubs in the world of Socon, very fragmented, so very long uh, road for us. We're going to launch two US ports this year, so we're going to expand beyond soccer, obviously. And like the first answer to your question is a legal one. We would be in trouble if we use the name or the image of players without buying the IP, right? So that's that's the, the, the first answer. You could argue that, okay, maybe let's use like, you know, like fake uh, names, but like the sport fan, like they, they are fans of a club, they, they are fans of a player. So that's where like the biggest opportunity was for us to be tied to the real world like we want to be this bridge between the digital and the physical so uh, that was important for us so you you want to do things right so you want to buy the ip and you want the support of the clubs and the leagues and the players so we have dozens of players that invested in the company that are part of the journey and obviously we're having the clubs and the leagues and leveraging their platform their audience was also something that was important for us Gotcha. And if you could just walk me through how these deals used to work and how they work today, I guess, versus like, how are they structured? Do you have to negotiate with every individual team? How do the teams get paid? Is it, you know, flat fee royalty? How long did they take? Whatever you're able to share. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of how it works, so the model is that we pay a minimum guarantee upfront, right? So before selling the first NFT card, we pay something. And then we have a royalty share on the primary and secondary market. And this is one of the beauty of NFTs, obviously, like we are able to track secondary sales and to take a cut and pay a cut back to the IP owner. So that's how it works. And then there's a lot of subtleties in SoCon because there's different setups depending on the geographies. You need to go club one by one. You need to go to the league you need to go to the league or the union so that it, there's a lot of fragmentation in the world of soccer yeah it's not like the the u.s here <laughs> where we have the nba and the mlb yeah. and you just negotiate at a top level with the the league and the player association and your your hands are dusted done deal yeah. i feel like it's it, there's a million different leagues clubs associations and that was back to my question of like how long does it take? I assume you've gotten better at it over time, right? There's some kind of template now where you can go to a league or a team and say, hey, look, this team already did it or this yeah. club already did it. You should do a similar deal. But ha has that process accelerated over time? 
Yeah, yeah, I, I guess that no, we are you know, we are very much processed. We move way faster. Look, to be to be blunt, the deals are more expensive. <laughs> That's what changed because that was part of your question. So we created our own problem. Last year we made more than 325 million in in GMV, right? So things are moving and, and that's normal. But uh, yeah, we, we are moving faster. We have a lot of people all over the world to close their deals. It's a lot of ground work, right? Like uh, there's, there's no magic trick. You need to be on the ground and do the work. Did you say 325 million in GMV last year? Yeah, that's correct. Nice. Yeah. This is a massive business, dude. No, that's yeah, that's that's a good start. Without any paid marketing, so like sixty-five percent of the users come through the referral program. It has been only organic growth, and we're gonna start this year to do some massive marketing campaigns. And the US is a big next step for us. So you say no organic marketing, but my investor mindset goes back to like, okay, some of the athletes are posting about it. That's obviously helpful. Yeah. Do you guys pay the individual athletes? Are they investors, or is that part of the deal? Like they have to help market it. So all the athletes that chat about our product, like uh, world champions Antoine Griezmann, Gerard Piquet, like all, all these people are, uh, are investors and they do it because they have skin in the game. That's the reason. <laughs> it's the best way to do it. Align some incentives exactly. and, and uh, give them some upside. Yeah. Okay. So if you could just touch on, you mentioned the 325 million, but I think it would be helpful for people who aren't familiar with the platform. You guys are obviously, you raised last September at $4.3 billion. SoftBank led the round. I believe it was a $700 million round. So it's obviously a, a fast growing, big, big business. But if you could just give some numbers around kind of how the platform has scaled to this day, whether it's number of users, total transaction value, whatever you're willing to share. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. So today it's uh, 1.5 million users across 184 countries. So it's truly a global game, a global product. So yeah, we, we mentioned the number of partners in, uh, in SoCal. So it's above 200. 130 soccer clubs and GMV 325 million last year and more than 120 million in revenue. So we have been profitable from the first day. I think the most impressive number on my side are like the engagement number, like retention at most three is close to 70%. So Netflix like retention metrics, a lot of uh, engagement. People spend a lot of time on the platform, more than one hour per day. So that's, that's what's truly exciting to me. Uh, and uh, the level of engagement of the community as well, like dozens of side games, side applications being built on top of these NFTs. And so, yeah, this is part of the broader vision and, and, and really exciting for us. Gotcha. Yeah. It seems like there's been a whole ecosystem that's been building around it, right? I know there's so rare data, which is kind of ancillary to what you guys are doing. You, I believe you guys actually invested in the product, but people are able to build Correct. on it, right? Which is the beauty of the blockchain. It's all open source and you're able to go in and, and build on these things. How do you think about the perfect user? Who, who is the perfect user for so rare? That's a good question. So I think the perfect user is obviously a sports fan that wants to live his or her passion with some skin in the game, right? People used to, to watch sports, but like they want more. They want more skin in the game. They want, and that's what we are able, what we are unlocking, like the ability for them to scout new talents and be able to be rewarded in the game uh, in a truly novel way, basically. Again, like uh, the sports fan that wants to leave his passion or her passion with some skin in the game. And how important do you think NFTs or, or crypto in general, I guess, are to the overall game? Because in my mind, there's both divisions right now, right? We have NFTs as a collectible and then we have fantasy gameplay and, and no one, to your credit, has done an exceptional job of combining the two. There's certainly people that have tried and done an adequate job, but you guys are, are in my mind, leading the space in, in combining the two. How do you think those play together? Does the average user even need to have a background in crypto? Or I guess in general, the, the question is like, how important are NFTs to the overall game? Yeah, that's a very good question. So, so maybe to answer your the first part, like you don't need to understand NFTs or to understand blockchain, right? Like uh, 
for for us, like we from the first day, we wanted to abstract all the complexity. So you come with a credit card and you are able to buy an NFT. What we want the users to feel are the benefits of NFTs. So you want to feel digital scarcity. You want to feel the freedom that you can move the NFT outside in a, in a side game. You want to feel the properties of NFTs without uh, learning and, and reading complicated stuff about NFTs and blockchain. So, so one of the things you mentioned there is the portability, right? And I think that's yeah. an important concept because a lot of people outside of NFTs or that don't own NFTs or interested in the ecosystem don't understand how important that is. Maybe just talk a little bit about why that's so important to you guys. Let's take an example of uh, like billions of billions of dollars are spent today in video games, Fortnite, FIFA, uh, NBA 2K and so on. So let's start here. Like in these games, you buy something that you don't own. You cannot use it elsewhere. You cannot resell it. You cannot use it the next season. So basically, you don't own anything. You you spend money for something you don't own. And so we think that this needs to change. And we need to, we, we think that people need to have the same level of ownership with these game items that they have in the physical world. You buy a, a, a top card, you can resell it. You can move it in whatever in your room you, you like. You are free to do whatever you want with it. And we believe that should be the same in sports games. And so that's, that's what we want to do. And the portability is a key one because it enhances the overall experience. So you, you, not only you can play with the games that we ship, but uh, you can also play elsewhere. You can also sell in third-party platforms and so on. So that's all for the benefit of the fan. And why do you think there's been such a pushback on this concept from, from traditional gamers, right? It seems like a no-brainer when you think about it in the context that you just mentioned, but this isn't as easy as that. I think that there's been significant pushback, right, from traditional gamers in some sense. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think that everything that we do, we, we are reversing the model upside down. So like all these gaming companies, they built business models around cent like centralized and closed ecosystems where they extract value and each season they print more game items and they force the users to buy them again and this is like this is working very well for them right like they have no real big incentive to do otherwise and we are building games with player-owned economies where we give all the power back to the users and i think that's the reason why there's so much pushback because we are yeah, it's so different. Like everything is built differently, right? So they are protecting, I guess, the existing models that are working well and we are doing something different that comes, we believe, with a lot, a lot of benefits for the gamers, for the fans. Yeah, people don't like small change and this is not a small change. This is a big change. So, yeah. all right, let's talk yeah. about how you make money today. How does SoRare make money and then how do people playing on the platform make money? Yeah, so we make money by selling NFT collectibles. So that's uh, our revenue stream uh, on the primary market, right? We don't take on the second product a cut on the secondary transaction yet. So this is something we plan to introduce at some point. Uh, and then uh, uh, as, a, as, a, as a gamer, as a player, uh, you have two ways to make money. One is uh, like trading. So you can scout for new players and resell them. Uh, so that's one way. And a uh, second way is uh, like uh, playing in the game and from, from time to time earning some prizes that you can decide to keep or to resell. Gotcha. And how much money do you need to get started? So this has been historically like a, a friction because like like the market has been growing fast and faster than uh, than we planned. So like uh, entry prices were not cheap. Right now you can you can start with one hundred dollars. You won't be able to compete for the top prizes and the top game mods, but you are able to start for this amount of money. We also have a free to play mode where you can play. Uh, it's gonna again take some more time, but you are able to compete for free without spending money. 
without NFTs, right? Like uh, with traditional digital accounts. We as a company have this goal for this year to make the game more accessible, less expensive. So we're going to introduce new game modes for people to be able to play with NFTs for uh, like less money. Basically. That, that was going to be my next question, because it sounds like something that you guys are straddling the line of, of trying to figure out what makes sense from a product perspective versus the accessibility of, of including everyone. Right. Yeah. And I think most people know that that gaming is historically dominated by whales, right? There's there's big players and they run a large percentage of the overall money in these economies. So how do you do that? Is it just introducing like lower tier games that are free to play? Is this something that you guys are actively thinking about? Yeah, so we are actually thinking about this because we want to reach like dozens of millions of fans and we need to solve that. And I think we are going to solve that very soon. The way we think about it is an economy, right? Like we have different tier of counts, like the unique, the super rare, the rare and so on. And this counts, you can enter different game modes. And so we have game modes that are the higher end, where what you call whales are playing right now. And then you have different game modes that where you can play with cheapest cards. So we want to have a place that is fun for everyone, basically. So that's always structure the economy. So that's one part of the, of the answer. And the second part is to also build game modes where you cannot play only with star players. So you cannot have like Mbappe and Messi and so on. So you need to build balanced uh, lineups where you can play with maybe one star player and then like uh, uh, players that are less known. That's the second way to, to, to look at it and to balance the, the progression and the gameplay. Gotcha. And one of the questions I want to talk to you about is the growing pains of growing so fast, right? A lot of entrepreneurs listen to this podcast, a lot of people that have interest in building businesses. And you guys are one of the great success stories, right? You guys have scaled to a $4.3 yeah. billion valuation at this point. I believe you're the fastest growing startup in, in France's history. Yeah. I saw a LinkedIn post from Emmanuel Macron, which is very cool to see. So congratulations. But along with that comes growing pains. And what is the most difficult thing you guys have encountered? Is it hiring people? Is it managing expectations? Is it actually building the product? Just talk me through some of the things that you've, you've run into that have been troubling. Look, at the end of the day, like everything we do comes down to people, right? Like uh, who are the people you hire and how, how do you keep having a very high bar for hiring, but at the same time hiring faster, right? So so I think that that was like the difficult part, like uh, accelerating and keeping the high bar. And, and we, we put a lot of effort to make this happen. And then once you onboard people, then they need some time. Some like so we we had like uh, some amazing leaders from ESPN and DraftKings and Google and so on. But they need time to build their own teams, and then these teams need some time to deliver. So at some point, you slow down to accelerate, right? And so it could be a bit frustrating for the community because they see these amazing names like Ryan Spoon has been leading digital at ESPN for eight years and fantasy and growing it to the you know the, the biggest fantasy game in the world. And so he arrived and then he needs to build his team and then the results uh, arrive some months after. So I think that's, that has been like, we put a lot of effort. How do you manage those expectations, right? You guys are a consumer facing product. You have users in a community that is constantly giving you feedback. I've seen it online. People are very passionate passionate, not only because there's money involved, but it's a game, right? They're, they're very passionate about this. Yeah. How do you manage those expectations as a leader? So you need, you need to communicate and communicate on a very recurring, like on a recurring basis. That's the key point, like being transparent about uh, what you do, what you are working on and not over-promising because it, it comes back biting you if you do that. So I guess those are, those are the, the key points. Yeah. And is it true you guys had like 20 employees last year? So when we raised this uh, massive Series B, which was the, the biggest in European history, we were 17. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming yeah, that was a lot yeah. of sleepless nights. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. No, it's, it was like uh, we had really busy times. It still is. We're going to be 200 at the end of the year, so growing fast between uh, the New York office and the Paris office. So we have those two legs as we are attacking the, the U.S. market. Gotcha. And one of the things you mentioned earlier that I wanted to come back to was your retention. You mentioned that it was close to Netflix levels and you guys are very proud of your retention and low churn. How are you guys able to keep those numbers so significant? I think that when you give power back to the fans, to the users, and you enable them to own the game that they love, it creates a very, very special connection to them, right? Uh, they really think that they own part of the game, they own part of the company, and they are really, if you look at the amount of feedback, the, the amount of interactions we have on the social media with, uh, with, with them, it's truly unique, I think. Uh, and I think that's part of the answer. It's really like uh, inherent to the model that we've built. And I guess the second one is the fact fantasy game like the fact that uh, you know like uh, and soccer that there's, there's soccer games every day in the world right and so you are able to engage uh, and, and to enable them to live their passion with totally new and different angle this is our our retention engine i guess like you know the gameplay we've built around fantasy what metrics do you use to track long-term success is it users is it retention is it revenue is it something else yeah i i guess like uh one is clearly retention so retention month six month three month one and so on i guess the second important metric is the health of the secondary market and notably like trading volume on the secondary market but also liquidity on the secondary market because it's all about trust and so you need to have a healthy and liquid secondary market to grow the user base and for them to you know like again to, to trust the market and the company behind has there any been any like financing firms that have spawned up to help people get started? So the reason I ask is because I think people here in the United States and probably all over the world at this point are very familiar with Axie Infinity. Yeah. They blew up during the pandemic and they were kind of the, the poster child for play to earn gaming. Yeah. Everyone understood that hey, the people in the Philippines don't earn nearly as much as people here in the U.S. do on a monthly basis. They're able to play this game and they're able to earn a living or, or sometimes significantly more than they would at a regular job. But there's a bunch of firms, Yield Guild Games, that popped off of that and were, and were allowing people to start the game and loaning them money and loaning them the ability to do it financially. Is this happening in your guys' ecosystem today or no? Not to my knowledge. I think that, uh, you know, like, so... Play to earn is very popular and actually Infinity Coin that. And we consider ourselves more like, you know, maybe play and earn. And I believe that if you have this spectrum between making money and having fun and spending time with friends and so on, like we, we are maybe more in the second part of the spectrum. Like obviously, like some people make money by reselling cold collectible cards or by, you know, with their skills, like performing very well in the game. But we also want to deliver fun. And we also want for people to spend time with the people they love and meet new people. If you if you spend time on Instagram and Twitter, you see like dozens and hundreds of examples of people, you know, meeting new friends in the physical world and organizing big parties to watch like Japanese games or Korean games, leagues that they've never watched before. And this is so cool, like to discover new culture and discover like uh, new new leagues and new people because, because of, you know, the game that we've built. And this is something we're very proud. What do you think this does to the traditional fantasy model? Look, I think there's room for like different models. I see like the free-to-play model as being, you know, like obviously like a very exciting one. ESPN and Yahoo model were like it's more about bragging rights on Monday morning. And, and, and this is cool, right? I love it. And I'm playing this, uh, this type of games. Then you have the DFS model, which is more transactional. Like you put your team and you 
you win or you lose, you have money at stake. This is a kind of model, I guess, that is working very well. And we are trying to, you know, bring the best of these two worlds, like the fun and social element of the free-to-play, but also the skin in the game of the DFS. And adding on top of this, the NFT component where you truly own the game. And I think it makes a very compelling mix for the fans. If you had to guess from a percentage standpoint of like how much gaming in the future will be play to earn or play and earn versus just traditional kind of play for entertainment, what do you think it is? Somewhere between 80 and 100%. Like this, when you think about like, again, like the, the inherent properties of these games, it's just 10 times better, right? right? For, for the gamer and for the fans, because why not really owning the game items? So you, you spend hundreds and hundreds of hours in the game and you know you cannot take anything out of it right like even if the game disappear you cannot take your game items and keep them right like because you don't own them so even if you put aside the financial element and just like the emotional connection like you totally lost so when i think about all these properties and we can spend time like the true ownership digital scarcity portability traceability and the list goes on and on and for each of them there's many benefits for the gamers and for the fans so i i think it's going to be like the vast majority of the games that going to operate this way today it's very early and there's very few let's be frank like quality games out there because games take time to to be built and the technology is so early that's going to come massively to the gaming industry that was going to be my next question i feel like one of the complaints i hear a lot is that the games just aren't very good right and you guys are obviously an exception and you guys have found product market fit and been able to scale appropriately but one of the things gamers complain about is they just say blockchain games aren't nearly as good as the traditional ones that we've seen from entertainment studios right they have multi-billion dollar budgets they're able to build much higher quality games my question is how do we get to that point of 80 to 100 percent? is it it can't be just education right the gameplay obviously has to improve but is there something else that i'm not thinking about no, I, I think that I've been seeing more and more like top quality teams building blockchain games lately. And again, just takes time for these teams, you know, to to form and to go raise money and to start developing the games. And, you know, these are very long cycles and obviously like not everyone is going to succeed. So it's, it's going to take volume and time. I think that it's going to come later on this year and next year. We're going to see more and more top quality games being built with NFTs front and center. Are you guys working with other game studios or do you guys work maybe this is a naive question but do you guys work with other game studios to make it portable for your nfts to work in their games or is that something that's done completely separate yeah so we've worked with ubisoft so they released a side game that was fantasy inspired we've worked in france with homo games which is a mobile gaming studio very successful in europe and so they are developing also like some side games and then there's like smaller organizations like a group of engineers and designers who came in and and are building or built experiences on top of what we are doing. We want first to make our product right. Like, so we have a lot to do to make it more inclusive, less expensive, more fun, more social. We're going to ship the mobile application in a couple of weeks. So it's, it's still very early for us. And once we have our fundamentals right, then we're going to start funding these guys and helping them and basically like uh, accelerating in this platform play. Gotcha. And I don't think people realize that you don't even have a mobile app yet, right? That's still how early this this whole thing is exactly exactly so let's talk a little bit about how you actually raise money for this business because i think it's a fascinating story i imagine that it wasn't very easy early on were you guys raising from just 
blockchain focused venture capital firms or were you were you venturing outside of that also the first round that preceded was in april 19 and we raised half a million and uh, it was a nightmare i think i contacted 150 firms total and uh, it took more than six months and it was really painful it was crypto winter i was planning to you know to to chat mainly with crypto firms but during crypto winter they were all on on hold so i ended up closing with sitcom who's the you know the leading seed fund in the uk and kima venture which is it's equivalent in in france so generalist funds at the end of the day and then the the seed round was seven million in the summer of 20 uh, led by a german generalist fund as well called headline then we raised a series a uh, led by benchmark with participation of uh, so was in February 2021, so again, generalists, and then Series B led by SourceBank with participation of PSMA and IVP, uh, Tomiko, so a lot of generalists as well. So like rounds mainly led by generalists, but we have uh, amazing crypto firms on board like Fabric in the UK or Signi Capital in the, in, in the US. So we have angels and crypto firms on board as well. Gotcha. And why did you guys raise so much money? Like, what is the part of the business that's so capital intensive? Is it actually signing the licensing deals? Yeah, signing the licensing deals is really like becoming expensive. So that was the main reason. And then we, we do plan to start aggressive, you know, marketing campaigns in the coming months. And I guess that was part of it as well. And then scaling the team. Gotcha. All right. So let's pivot a little bit and talk about expansion. This is one of the questions when I asked on Twitter what people wanted to talk about. Everyone's like, hey, what are they doing next? What are they doing next? What is yeah. your guys' plan for expansion? Yeah, so in terms of product expansion, as I said, we do plan to launch two of the major US ports this year. It's going to be like massive for us as a company, but without doing any type of compromise with the so-called product, right? Which is like growing and working so well right now. So that's what we plan to do from a geographical perspective. So we opened this US office late last year and we, we're going to bet big in the US market. So this is from a geographical standpoint, I guess. And what is the, the nuance or the complexities that are different between Europe and the U.S.? I think that, so obviously, like, the philosophy of the product is going to remain the same. So it's going to be, like, uh, player-owned fantasy games where you can play with official license NFTs. But obviously, you want to adapt to the gameplay, right? Like, it's not the same number of players. And so there's, there's some variations that we're going to introduce to launch new sports, that's for sure, and to market the product to the audience as well. Like, there's some variations about the expectations of uh, U.S. sports fans that are not the same in Europe. So I guess these are, these are the, the two main points. Gotcha. And if you guys did 325 million in GMV last year, yeah. if we had to estimate or guess, I'm sure you have internal goals, like what would it be this year? Let's say that we, we aim to be close to the billion. <laughs> wow. Incredible, incredible, incredible. The other thing I want to talk about is, is the type of users you guys have on the platform. Yeah. There's been some press or articles or comments about what we'll call more institutional traders, right? People that are doing this as an investment and are pulling together capital and are interested in doing this from like kind of a professional view. And then there's obviously what we'll call retailer or novice people that are just doing this for fun or entertainment or, or attempting to do it on their own the best they can. How do you guys manage both of those different types of users? Yeah, so I think the first part of the answer is back to what I said uh, earlier on, the fact that, you know, we have different game modes and different parts in this economy that, you know, are compelling for different type of users with different resources. I think that's that's one part. The other part of the answer is to say that, so the accounts, we have uh, rules where you need to be a natural person to play the game. And then obviously, like, 
we cannot like verify if your money is coming from you know a loan from a bank or like a crypto firm or whatever so the money can come from like a different uh, part a different type of organizations but you need to be a natural person and you cannot pull your accounts with other people i think that what needs to be like very clear is that we have strict rule against multi-accounting so you cannot pull accounts and play together with different managers basically I feel like this is probably a question you've gotten a thousand times at this point, but I'm interested to hear the answer selfishly. How do you think about regulation when it comes to, to so rare? Because I think you guys probably straddle the line of what some people, skeptics of the industry would call gambling, right? They say, hey, look, people are putting up money and they have the opportunity to earn more money. I think of it as gameplay. You're, you know, you're, you're playing and earning at the same time. How do you guys think about it and how do those conversations go with regulators? Yeah, so for the, the first part of your question about gambling, I think that we had like a lot of different legal opinions from our investors and our internal lawyers. And it's very clear that, you know, the, the product is not gambling. You have nothing at stake. The gamer is free to play. Like you cannot lose your card. You cannot lose money. So we are, we are very confident on this side. But at the same time, it's very legitimate that some regulators, as they see a new market being formed, a new product on a new market, like they ask questions and we need to answer those questions. And I think that generally speaking, it's a positive, right? If you are proactive and engaged with the regulators, like you create the best environment for you as a company and for your, the gamers and the fans. So you need to engage, you need to be proactive, you need to explain what you do, how it's different from the old models. And that's exactly the phase we are in. So I don't know where it's going to end up, but that's, that's the phase we're in. Gotcha. And how difficult was it to build the economics of the platform? I assume this is extremely difficult as you're scaling the business and new users are coming in, not only with all the, the nuances that we just discussed with people building hedge fund type businesses off of this and trying to, trying to game the system, but just scaling the user base, right? How do you think about the rewards and how difficult has that been to build? I think generally speaking, like this is a topic that is under discussed in the in blockchain gaming in general, and that's going to be the reason why most of blockchain games fail is because it's it's very hard to balance supply and demand and to adjust it with you know how you grow your your community. So we have a dedicated team of engineers and economists and uh, and data people, you know, that are making sure that we are growing in a sustainable way. Yeah, again, like it's a lot of trial and error, like to make sure we are the the right framework and model and models to to balance that basically gotcha how do you get from a million users to 20 million or 100 million users so yeah that's that's a very interesting question so i think that we need to double down on what's working first so like everything organic i believe that our product is, is really an amazing fit for organic social loops all right like so you post your lineup on social media you post your wins your prizes on social media so this is what we plan to to do that's not like implemented in the product yet we plan to double down on, on the referral program and then we plan to start big brand marketing campaigns and paid marketing campaigns. So iterate on new channels that we believe could be big for us. And I guess the third point is to start really leveraging all these marketing assets that we have on the deals with the top soccer leagues and US sport leagues in the world. So we have a lot of marketing assets. Could be in-person money can't buy experiences, could be social media activations and so on. So we're going to have a dedicated team that is going to push with them to grow the user base. Is that part of the deal when you sign up these leagues? Is it, hey, you guys have to help us market this product also? That's correct. Basically, you have two big points. One that is IP, or we can use the IP. And the second one, which is marketing, like what we're going to do together. And again, we have like a line interest here to push the product. Gotcha. And you're saying basically that you guys haven't fully pushed that lever yet. 
yeah, not yet. Like most of the assets that we have, we don't even leverage them and use them, right? Like in the contracts, right? So we're gonna we're gonna start doing that. And that's really just because you guys don't have the manpower right now from an employee standpoint to do that? The main reason was that I believe that the product was not in the place that I wanted it to be before doing that, right? Because if you want to move, as you said, from 1 million to 20 million, then the use of Persona is different and comes with different expectations, right? Like the early adopter, the technologies, the crypto fund, you know, is different from the next segment, which, which is different from the next segment. So you need to bring the product to the, the place it needs to be before pushing that. Gotcha. And you talked about expanding by, by adding new sports. Is this something, when I think about the fantasy landscape today, fantasy is very popular for certain sports, but not every sport. Is there specific yeah. sports that stick out in your mind that are like no-brainers for the so rare model versus other sports? Look, when, when I think about the main US sports, like most of them, uh, obviously like there's differences between them, but uh, trading cards are, are coming from US sports. Fantasy is coming from US sports and baseball. So I think that there's, there's a couple of obvious answers. And uh, again, I, I, unfortunately, I cannot like mention one or, or another, but the main US sports are definitely of interest. And then some individual sports, even if there's no you know big success for some of them in terms of fantasy or gaming, like uh, some individual sports could be that could be massive for us as well. Gotcha. And one of the things I'm always interested to hear from every entrepreneur, but specifically ones that have scaled businesses very quickly, what's the biggest challenge that you guys face today? As a company, I think that the biggest challenge is to keep on growing the company whilst staying true with your culture, your DNA, because you, you know you, you are bringing people from different landscape, different backgrounds, and so you need to you know to stay together as a team, right, uh, with the same values, and you need to share this with with the new people and to and to onboard them and so on. So I guess that's that's the main challenge. So again, it, it always comes down to people and how you are coming together as a team to deliver the biggest data and brand in the world of sports. Gotcha. And are you a first time founder, or you founded something before? So I funded something before, which was not a startup model, so very different. It was an agency before my last company. So I can be considered as a first-time founder, I guess. Gotcha. All right. Well, for all things considered today, you'll, you'll be a first-time founder. With along that, though, like everyone sees the success. They see the valuation. They see how fast you guys are growing. They see all of the numbers, and it's super exciting, obviously. But difficulty has obviously come off of that. You've, you've mentioned some of the challenges. But you personally, is there anything that you wish you would have done differently or had more experience in when you first started this company? Yeah, it's a very good question. So at a personal level, it's always important to keep balance between building your company fast and you know your personal life, your family, your friends. And so I, it seems like bullshit and easy, but really like a uh, it really needs to be in your routine, you know, to spend time with friends and family and so on and to sleep well and to eat well, to exercise, all this, all this stuff. Because, because every month, every week, you have something unexpected and bigger than last time that is coming. So if you are not following this routine, like you're dead. It's so funny because I feel like th that's such a, an answer that everyone would give, right? But it's so true because look at you, you're, you know, you've built this massive business and you're still saying, Hey, look, make sure you sleep eight hours a night. Make sure you work out, make sure you eat healthy, make sure you spend time with your family. Exactly. Because I think people forget how important that is for everything else that you do, right? Exactly. If you work out and you feel good and you're healthy and you have a good relationship with everyone at home, it accelerates everything else that you're doing and you're able to focus on it on a much greater degree. 
Exactly. I mean, it, it may sound selfish, but it starts with you. And if, again, if, if you don't sleep, if you don't eat well, if you don't exercise, then you are not good with your family. You're not good with your people around you. So it, then it, it has an impact on everyone and how, how you behave as a leader. So it really starts here. And then I think that something that is really important that maybe I would have done slightly different is really like from the first day having your values, your principles, how you work as a company written down and shared with everyone because this is something that was more like a normal tradition like something that I you know I kept on like saying to the team like oh we want so moving fast and on your game and uh, all that stuff and explaining what it means but having it on the paper without any room for interpretation when you scale is really valuable right and this is something a second time founder would tell you i guess most of the second time founder i'm chatting with are telling me yes you know that's uh that, that this is something i spent a lot of time in the early days and so on so i guess i guess this is this is a first time founder thing like to be less on this early on and then trying to catch up a couple of years later it's funny you say that because I just did the podcast before this one was with Mark Laurie, who has built multiple companies now and, and been a very successful entrepreneur. And he has a venture capital firm that's named after this now, but he says that his vision after building the first company and over the last three have been vision capital and people, right? So he sets his vision yeah, from yeah. day one and he lets everyone know exactly yeah. what they're expected to do. Capital, because he thinks that you you need enough capital to make sure you don't run out of money. And, and the more capital, yeah. the better if you can raise it. And then people, because you need that capital to go hire the very best people. Exactly. That, those are the free stuff a CEO should do. And those are the free stuff I'm obsessed with. So that's exactly the same. And Fred Wilson has a, a very famous post about what the CEO should be doing. And, and I've been reading this post a long time ago. And so there's free stuff really like stuff with me as well but i think it's not only the vision so the, the vision i think has been clear and if you look at our pre-seed deck which is public and the series b deck a couple of months ago they are like we update the numbers but the vision where we want to go is really like the same right but it's more than the vision it's the, the principles the values or you work together as a team what do you want to be as a company and so on so this is this is again more than vision and mission do you guys have a chief people officer or like what, what is the hiring process? How are you able to scale so fastly on the hiring side? So yeah, we had Kiana who was uh, leading recruiting for Lyft. She came in Paris last year and so put together like, you know, everything around HR and uh, recruiting. And so, yes, we, we have processes that now are in place and that are faster than it was a couple of months ago. And you're not meeting with, you're not meeting with every new hire now, are you? I'm I'm still I'm still meeting with each new hire at the end of the process, obviously checking motivations and principles and values. Just thirty minutes, but I think it's important. Probably stop around one hundred, but I'm still doing it. Yeah, I got it. I guess I was thinking in the context of two hundred at this point, but that that'll be by the end of this year. Yeah, that's super exciting. And off of that, like, how have you changed as a leader? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's the main thing that uh, changed is in the early days, you do a lot of things yourself. You go close the first deal, you go close the second deal, and you do product stuff. And so you do a lot of operational stuff. And so you like to be in your in your zone and, you know, working fast. And then you need to open up, right? Like you need to spend more time with your team. You need to do casual stuff with them. You need to have fun with them. You need to prepare for every interaction with them, right? Like... I used to come to the team meetings once a week, all hands, okay, those are the free stuff we need to do this week. Boom, 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 and let's go. Uh, 20 minutes. Now, like, needs to be prepared. We have a deck. I have a mic. It's between New York and Paris. I cannot, you know. So, so yes, you need to spend more time about how you interact with your team and how you prepare for that. You know, they are more demanding, right? And that's normal. And, and so you need to spend more time on that. Yeah, so the business has obviously grown if you need a headset and a deck for, for the Monday morning meeting. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So what are your, if we step 
back for a second, we just kind of look at 30,000 foot view. What do you think is the future of gaming related to sports? Is this something that every sports league, a model that every sports league in the world is going to have? Is this something that every sports fan in the world is going to participate in? Are all sports fans going to own NFTs? Just your general thoughts around kind of how this market evolves over time. The way I see it is, again, it may sound bullshit a bit, but it's really connecting the, the fan with his or her passion in a way that is truly unique and more direct and looking experiences that are new because of the ownership of NFTs, right? I think an, NFTs uh, enable this direct connection with the player in all ways. This is truly something that's going to change everything. And because of the ownership of this, being able to do things that were not possible before is the revolution, I think. Gotcha. I got two more questions for you. The future of so rare. So one of the companies I always like to point out here in the United States, and they're obviously global at this point, but Fanatics, I think they've done an incredible job of not only aligning incentives with the leagues and the teams, and, and they give them equity, right? And they invest and they, they go yeah. forward and build their business. But now they're expanding. They're becoming this kind of all-encompassing sports platform. And maybe they become a competitor to you guys at some point, but today they're not, right? But they're also going to be venturing into potentially sports betting. They're going to be doing media. They're doing trading cards. They're doing all of these different things. Do you guys think at some point that you could become this all-encompassing platform, this entertainment platform for sports fans with, I don't know if it's media assets, but stuff like that, if it's actual sports betting, if it's entertainment-related stuff? I want to build the biggest entertainment sports brand in the world. And I think if we want to do this, we need to build a place where you spend time with your friends. So like the social element needs to be strong. The fun element needs to be strong, like the fantasy experience and more. And it needs to be a place where you can express who you are as a fan. And I think that for, for this, the collecting element is strong because what better way to show you know, your NFT to not only your friends, but a big audience, because with, you know, social media today, you can, you can show them to, to a bigger uh, audience. And to that point, what Twitter did, you know, enabling you to show your NFTs to your profile. And it's something that we're going to, we're going to see more and more. And so I think if you do that free stuff, like um, social fan and express who you are as a fan, we are in a good position to, to build this platform. And we have, I guess, the early signals of execution towards this. So it, it sounds like you think the digital flex component of the NFT is important. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very important because, because, again, this is a behavior that we have been having as human beings for centuries. Like, you know, you want, you want to collect for many reasons, to achieve a collection, to make money, to show who you are to the people that visit your house. This is something that we have been doing. But now with NFTs, we can bring this to a scale that is like truly exceptional, right? Because, you know, instead of having your art just in your house, you can show it to hundreds of millions of people. So yes, this is, this is something that is, and it's going to be way, way more important in the future. Gotcha. And last question before I let you go, how do you think about personal portfolio and investments, right? I'm assuming before you did this, as someone who was interested in crypto, you were very in tune with Bitcoin, Ethereum, obviously all the infrastructure being built in DeFi and so forth. Is this something that you're still actively looking at and investing in and paying attention to? Or is just, are you too busy at this point, right? The way I think about it is if I fall asleep for 30 minutes, you wake up and there's two new things on the market that you got to learn about in crypto, right? It's just a very fast moving and new thing. Just talk to me about how you think about that. 
for me, that's the frustrating part on being an entrepreneur in, in a fast growing company in crypto or NFC is like, I, I don't have time to catch up. And I, I, I do very few select investments, but yes, I, I don't have time to catch up. And so I stick with, you know, the OGs like Bitcoin and Ethereum and a couple of, uh, you know, like NFT projects, but I don't do a lot. Yeah. It's, it's because it's moving, moving so fast. So I, I tend to trust the, the smartest money managers in the world like you. <laughs> To, to to know what to do. <laughs> yeah, well, at some point too, like, you know, you're a founder of a business. The equity in the business is going to end up being more valuable if you do it right than anything you're going to do on the side. So I um, guess that there's some rationality behind this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not telling you anything yeah. you don't already know. Nicola, thank you so much for doing this. It's a super exciting time, obviously, and you guys are building an incredible business. I'm excited for people to see it here in the United States. I know people have used it for sure here in the U.S., but as it makes its way over and it becomes ingrained in these leagues, I think that people are really going to love it and just see a, a totally new vision of the future, right? When it comes to gaming and sports and all of this stuff. So super exciting. The one thing before we let you go, where can people find more about So Rare and you online? Yeah, so obviously SoRare.com and then our our Twitter, which is SoRare and Instagram as well. And then we have a very active and passionate Discord community. So those are the, the four main places, I would say. Are you in the Discord typing with, uh, with community members? And I'm assuming they're hounding you all the time for enhancements and everything else. <laughs> so I don't type as much as I used to do, but I'm reading a lot what's going on there. I'm really staying on top of the feedback of the community. Gotcha. All right, Nicola, thank you so much for doing this. And we'll have to do it again as you guys move into the US. I'd love to. Thank you so much. Joe. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to The Joe Pomp Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.